Welcome to the New Mexico News Podcast, headlines and stories from the land of enchantment. Brought to you by KRQE. Here's Chris McKee and Gabrielle Burkhart. We opened up this podcast more than 90 episodes ago back in October 2021. And at that time, it was a lot of talk about New Mexico's newer recreational cannabis industry. Gabby, you might remember yeah, these we did episodes. A we did a four-part series on the yeah. outlook we were of the industry. as well not to do them back to back to back because we do one a week and we didn't want to make you guys think that all we were doing was talking about cannabis. So it was four parts. Um, and at the time, I think those episodes spoke a lot about forecasting what would happen in the cannabis industry, looking at the new laws in place in New Mexico, maybe the problems Colorado has encountered with its own industry. And we also talked to a producer about why he's getting into the business. So now more than a year since sales began in April 2022, we're starting to get an idea here of just how the state is faring with the cannabis business. Yeah, probably one of the most noticeable things, and you've probably seen it out there today, a lot of new retail shops going up, filling plenty of vacant storefronts throughout Albuquerque and beyond. And we know people who've left other careers and jobs to get into the cannabis business. So is the grass greener for all of those people, do you think? Pun pun. Meanwhile, just a few weeks ago, we also saw one of the first cannabis businesses get its license revoked. It is a clear indication of rules and enforcement in the industry in New Mexico. And that story really did get us asking, what is the industry seeing? Where are things at here in 2023? Joining us today to talk about it is Pat Davis. Most of you may know him as Albuquerque City Councilor, representing the International District, Knob Hill, and southeast parts of the city in District 6. But his other day job, if you will, is co-founder and chief problem solver for the Weeds Cannabis Consulting Firm. Pat, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, we are welcome to have you. And um, we want to get into some of your background here because we know you know, you've you've had quite a role here in the cannabis industry for sure. several years, even before the recreational sales started. So I imagine, though, there are some people who don't know just what you've been up to over the last <laughs> several years. So in 2019, as I understand, you were appointed by Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham to chair the governor's cannabis legalization working group, uh, helping to lead industry experts, cabinet secretaries, regulators and other advocates and help them get the state to transition from medical cannabis to adult use and recreational use legalization as we know it. So if you can tell us, how do you get into that role and what did you do? Uh, It it is a, it is an odd route for sure. Uh, I think some folks sort of know that I started out uh, in my first grown up job. I was a police officer, a Capitol police officer in DC. Um, But then I got, nobody knew what that was at the time. And of course now everybody knows after January 6th. Um, but you know, I also did some time with the DC Metro police department. I worked on a DEA task force there. I was a drug cop and it just sort of changed my perspective on what we were doing. And, uh, after nine 11, uh, UNM hired me to come out. I got a chance to go back to graduate school to work on public policy and criminal justice. And, uh, and that led me down the road of, of drug reform. And so when this governor got elected, she was looking for somebody who could speak cop, uh, and was pro legalization. And there honestly weren't a whole lot of us a few years ago. And so she asked me to take on that role and it, uh, things have grown tremendously and fast from there. I wanted to ask you without drilling into too many of the details, where do you rank the health of the state's cannabis industry just in sort of a really broad overall sense? 
I think if you ask people the other states around the country who have done this, I think they will tell you that New Mexico's system that was set up in terms of the process gets an A. Uh, the rules that we have in place, the lower bar for entry, meaning we didn't put a bunch of barriers in place so anybody could try, and we, we can talk about some of the, the out what what come of that. That, in terms of the right system, we th- we seem to have the one because other states that have followed have copied a lot of our work. But in terms of actually implementing all the things that we knew needed to be done, I think across the board, the industry would probably give the state a C as in trying best, but really haven't executed really well for some of the reasons that we can talk about for out-of-state operators and um, not being able to get people licenses quickly and not being able to answer questions and enforce their own rules. So a lot of chance to grow. We have a really great system. No one's trying to change that. But getting us there, I think, is the real challenge. And hopefully do we do it before some of these folks lose, you know, lose their hat and lose their business. And I know you've also been helping to consult entrepreneurs through the process of, you know, getting licensed by the state and providing some guidance on this whole process. Mm-hmm. Tell us what your role has been like since all of these new cannabis businesses have come online in New Mexico. Well, after the legislature passed that bill, there became the tons of folks that wanted to say, how do I get a license and what do we do? And remember that just passing the bill was the first part, but now you have all the rules So the legislature basically said, okay, we want to do this. These are the broad parameters. You need to issue licenses for somebody to grow, somebody to make products and somebody to sell it. But how you do that is totally up to the governor's team and her staff and and regulation and licensing. And so we uh, began working with entrepreneurs, mostly in the medical space, the old medical folks to say, how do you transition to the new role? How can you influence that to help us set that up right? And once we got those folks transitioned, my business partner and I, who was on the, the task force, Matt Kennecott. I was sort of the progressive liberal guy. He had worked for Susana Martinez. And so we had that left, right, could speak both languages sort of in Santa Fe and begin working with folks to say, how do we solve these problems? And so we set up a consulting business. We're the largest, uh, New Mexico's largest licensing and consulting firm now. We've helped to license uh, just over 300 of the thousand or so facilities in the state. And, And for entrepreneurs, what that really means is they sit down with us. We help them build a business plan. We evaluate is your location meet the local zoning code because it's different in Albuquerque than Los Ranchos than Sunland Park? And what are the, the all the training programs and what do you have to do to keep your product safe and your employees safe? And so there are a long list of rules and about 600 pages of policies that operators have to have in place. And so we try to take them page by page through their business plan and be sure they're really ready to do this. Or for the folks that maybe weren't ready to do this, we try to help them sort of recenter and get back on place. And we're not the only ones. There are a number of folks that do that kind of work. Yeah, I imagine it's useful when you're entering a whole new industry like that. By the end of last year, more than 4,600 workers had joined the cannabis industry in New Mexico. That's according to the Department of Workforce Solutions. Most of those people work in dispensaries. And we mentioned people, you know, leaving other careers Mm -hmm. like construction, there's hospitality workers, and these people are going all in, it seems like. Our colleague Ann Perrette reported on the kind of saturated market that we're starting to see do you think the industry will continue to support all of these new businesses and jobs? We're definitely going to support the jobs. Um, when we did the the governor's commission, Kelly O'Donnell, who was a former state economist, has done a lot of work for a lot the film industry, for example, for the state when that was growing so fast, did an analysis. And basically we said, you know, New Mexico needs about 300 stores. If we're going to match the other successful states, that's about the number of doors you can have to make the number of customers make sense and keep the prices right. And it also said that we needed about 300,000 plants to produce for those number of customers. 
Today, as you know, like we've got more than 600 uh, retail stores around the state, 200 here in the city. So about twice what we need. And as she she reported, we still have more, almost three or four times the number of plants that we need. And so what that means is we've oversupplied. What the model said was that in every other state, it took us three to four years to reach this level. New Mexico did it in 10 months. And what that told us was we didn't factor in the fact that this has become more normal. People have broken down those barriers. They don't care as much as they did when Colorado was the first state to legalize a decade and, and more ago. And nationally, people are more likely to invest in these companies because they've been successful in other states. And so the challenges that our local folks had, which is finding money, um, is still a challenge. But for big out-of-state companies, New Mexico was really attractive market. And we really didn't think that would happen this quickly because normally mom and pop start up and they sort of sell up to the out-of-state guys and and somebody gets their money back. So New Mexico was the first state to really be 100% grown and mature in a year. And that's been part of those challenge. I think the next question I have here kind of speaks a little bit to that. The idea out there that people may still think that cannabis is maybe a fad and that sales and demand will change and that maybe the industry will start to see a a massive shift at some point, particularly in the idea of market saturation. You mentioned just how many stores are out there right now. The idea of possible consolidation, right? That some of the younger small businesses might get gobbled up and by the happening. bigger guys. And, and I guess I wanted to ask you about that. What are we seeing so far? When do you expect to start seeing some of the smaller businesses start to get more and more gobbled up. You mentioned it's happening already. It is happening. You know, what we saw in the first year, and some folks who pay attention to this will note, um, some about two big out-of-state groups, um, one out of Colorado, one out of Arizona, came in. The Arizona group brought Pure Life, which is one of our number two, number three largest companies, and they had stores all over the state. They had about 15 stores. The Colorado company bought up our Greenleaf, and then they just bought up the Everest group. So those are now under the same umbrella. Now they're the second largest with about 30 stores between those two companies. And so those the ones that came out of medical that were the largest, the biggest targets, they they were acquired pretty quickly. And again, normally that took two or three years, but here they those national companies were ready to deploy money. There was other states that weren't quite as far ahead as we were. And so now what you're seeing is mom and pops are competing against national money, meaning their cost to do business is a lot lower. They can afford to lose money on a store next to a mom and pop store because they've got 30 other stores to support them uh, on their bottom line. So what we are seeing now is that smaller retailers are starting to have conversations and say, hey, why don't you and I team up? You've got a West Side store. I've got an East Side store. We can buy twice as much and demand a better price. We're, we're seeing that already in the market. And we're also seeing, unfortunately, some of the early folks that wanted, that did get a license that are registered, they could, could open tomorrow in the city have decided to sell their leases to somebody else. Like they they did sell their business. They did get started. It just took longer than they wanted. The price is not as good, but they have a great address, but they don't want to operate it anymore. And so you see a lot of those happening. I think behind the scenes, people don't really under, know that, that what used to be the Got Green store on the corner may have formerly been the mom and pop store, for example. But it's happening. That I think the real challenge for folks that we see now is that we still have to consolidate. We have about twice as many retail stores as our market will ultimately manage. And here's the problem. Everybody was racing to get the best address. And so it was a money. It was a, If you could sell your existing cell phone business or smoke shop and buy or convert that really quickly and be the first on the block or the first in the Knob Hill neighborhood or the first in uh, around Cottonwood Mall, man, you were going to make money. But the process took so long that so many people are there 
you signed a five-year lease with a really high rent rate because you wanted that great address, but now you're in a five-year lease based on prices a year ago and they're half of what they were. And you've, so the math no longer works. And unfortunately, cannabis business operators don't have the luxury of going back to the bank to finance these kind of things and reconsider that money. They paid premium prices in a market that's, that's now cut down to about half. And that's not a great business plan going forward. Do you worry at all that even though the state set up all these rules to really encourage those smaller guys to have a, a fair shot at getting in there, getting a license and starting up, that there just won't be any room for them because there's so much, you know, you could say national consolidation, regional consolidation. It, I think at the moment it's a trepidation. We talked about this in this, in the story, KRQ story. I think it's a very trepidatious time to try to open a brand new retail store. What you used to say is I want to be the one on the corner of San Mateo and Manal. Well, now there are four stores within two or three blocks of San Mateo and Manal. And so you've got to have a gimmick. You've got to be the best top brand. You've got to be the bargain brand, dollar store brand. Um, you've got to have something special there. Uh, you got to have a hook. And so now you're competing. It's it's Walgreens and CVS across from each other and which one's going to survive. We're in that space. Um, and so it is the national folks, I hate to say this, and it feels bad for New Mexicans, they're going to do fine. And don't get me wrong. They're employing New Mexicans. They have to grow the product here. They're buying supplies here. We're buying it. We're, we're paying their landlords are here in New Mexico, mostly because out-of-state folks usually don't do this kind of thing. We're support. They're supporting the economy. But when you're talking about mom and pop who sold their restaurant to start a cannabis company, they're having a harder time competing. And so they're going to have to compete a little bit and their prices are going to be a little higher. But we have been willing to pay more for good beer, micro local beer, and let Bud Light still be in the freezer at the grocery store. And I think that's a little bit of the model whereas New Mexicans are going to have to adopt is find our favorite local brand and then find our, you know, our big party brand that you want to when you're, when you're taking out or going out for something different. Yeah, you talked about having a hook and, you know, some businesses are already getting pretty creative. Like there's these lounge areas mm -hmm. and kind of like bar event style places. What are some of the innovative things that you've seen already from these businesses? Definitely. And honestly, I think we did not believe the state would begin licensing um, and certainly didn't think that cities would start licensing consumption lounges a year in. The, the plan always was two or three years in, let's let everybody settle down. But the good news was we didn't have any law enforcement just sort of said, we're not seeing problems like we thought we were. We do definitely have a black market problem. We have folks from Oklahoma where their market fell apart before ours. Their prices are too low. So they're bringing folks here. But most of what you see in the black market is other operators in other states whose prices have gone down are bringing things here. But the locally, uh, lounges are doing fabulous. They're really doing well. There's one in Nam Hill. Enchanted Botanicals has a great one. Urban Oasis up in the Heights is an African-American minority-owned uh, one. It's one of our first ones in the city. They're doing great business. They have yoga and painting classes in theirs. It's not just to sit around. And we sort of solved some of those issues about safety. Like some of these places are giving you an Uber ride. They'll pay for the Uber ride or give you the Uber code on your way home to be sure you're not having overconsumed or that you're still doing okay. So they're thinking about this proactively from experiences with alcohol. Those are cool. The next thing you're seeing is uh, national brands aligning with local people. So big brands like Mike Tyson, like Cheech and Chong, right? We're in Everest for a while. Uh, and I think they are, we're in Pure Life for a while. I think they still are. Like those national brands. But what that really means is Pure Life is growing the plant in New Mexico. They're manufacturing it in their space and they're bringing that national advertising money to New Mexico. So they're getting a hook in those national folks and they're trying to stand out. Uh, and we see some mom and pops doing that as well and making those deals. You know, Willie Nelson has 
loves to sing songs about weed and, and is from Texas where you can't do it, at least not legally. But no one here has licensed Willie Nelson yet, but some mom and pop is going to do that. And he only works with local small folks. Those are the kind of hooks I think you'll start to see coming through. Yeah. Going back real quick to Anne Brett's story, another thing, data point that stuck out to me was just in Albuquerque as of April 2023, a year into legalization of recreational cannabis, the city of Albuquerque approved licenses for 186 cannabis retailers. So a third of those were approved within just the last six months. Mm -hmm. Albuquerque has just 146 liquor stores. So Liquor stores are already outnumbered by retail cannabis shops, which I just thought was interesting. And I'm also hearing that there may be a push to get the state to limit the number of licenses being issued to cannabis retailers. Is that a good idea, you think? I I don't. And here's why. I think there's a real disagreement. Everybody who wanted to get a license from the beginning in the cannabis business pointed to alcohol and said, hey, we did that wrong, right? Remember your favorite restaurant couldn't have cocktails and beer and wine or couldn't, you know, only had different types and there were only so many liquor licenses and they were worth a half million or a million dollars, depending on where you were. We said, we don't want cannabis licenses to be unattainable. And so the, one of the governor's real pillars was we have a low barrier. If you're not a criminal and you're willing to try really hard and follow the rules, we're going to let you try this and we're going to treat you like any other business. Unfortunately, we all know that about two thirds of restaurants ultimately fail, but a lot of those folks go on, learn a lesson and do another one and another one until they get it right. And that's kind of what the, the model here. So yeah, there is a challenge, but we've got a place where New Mexico has given everybody that opportunity to sort of get ahead, try their own, find their their hook and see what's going to happen. So we'll see. But honestly, I think there's a the, there's no, says the guy who's on president of the city council while we also work on this. I don't think there's very little appetite in the city to try to tell the cannabis industry that we, we just want to artificially cap them because we think as a government that there's too many of them, like that's a market issue. And, and folks tried and didn't really go anywhere. I think the market's going to have to sort this one out a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about enforcement. We mentioned at the top of the episode just a couple weeks ago, we saw the state's regulation and licensing department and the cannabis control division. They went as far as to revoke an Albuquerque dispensary's license. It was the first time they've done this so far. So regulators say that that shop, Paradise Distro on Manal near San Mateo, they say it was in part selling out-of-state cannabis, violating state rules. They also mentioned there was um, some conflict over the sales reporting numbers and and an apparent under-reporting of sales. So tax issues come into play there. We should also note that there was a hearing where the company, the business, was able to defend itself that it apparently did not attend. RLD Superintendent Linda Trujillo said, quote, this revocation should serve as a warning to those selling or receiving out-of-state cannabis products. So when we covered her story, our reporter George Gonzalez, he interviewed you getting kind of your reaction to the news as somebody in the industry. And just to be clear, you have nothing to do with Paradise Distro. Um, It sounds like this was something, though, that many in the cannabis industry were aware of this whole licensure, possible revocation, maybe before it happened. Were you surprised by this revocation or when you heard about it? Can you give us some background on what industry leaders sort of knew leading up to this? Well, I think we were surprised that they did it in part because the industry had been asking the state so long to start taking action on some of these not very well-kept secrets. And we can use Paradise and, and talk about it because they they put it on Facebook and showed us. The reason that that case came to light for the state 
was because they literally went on Facebook for their new store and started advertising California products on their shelves in New Mexico. And industry folks shared that with regulators. Now, the challenge was the state is building not just a whole, we're not just starting something new. We're actually building a whole new industry and the legislature had funded it, but we got to hire and train all the people. It wasn't a good fit for everybody. Regulation and licensing really struggled. The candidate decision really struggled under four directors in two years to find its footing, still working on that. We got another director coming uh, next month that I think we have a lot of faith and, and excitement about, but they just weren't able to follow up proactively. And they did respond to those industry complaints and they gave them a second chance and said, hey, just in case you didn't know the rules, take all this out of here, stop putting this stuff online and get your act together. But when they revisited a year later, they found the same products in the stores, according to the report from the investigators. And they found that, as you mentioned, they were not reporting all their cash sales, right? Everybody knows somebody who works for cash on the weekends or under the table, but you can't do that in cannabis when everything's on CCTV. Everything has to be reported to the state and they can audit your returns because the state tracks every product from the flower in the field to the point of sale. And so it was pretty easy for them to run some reports and see that they had more products in their, they had sold more products than they had reported to the tax folks. But what I think the important message here is that the cannabis division is starting to take that seriously. They needed to get the industry out first. They were deferential to giving people licenses who wanted to try. If you signed a five-year lease and we're still waiting on your license six months later from the state, like that's money you were losing. And so they prioritized helping people get started. And now they're sending a message about enforcement. If that continues, it'll be great because there are some other pretty well-known operators out there. I I will say most of them are really kind of small, small ball folks, right? We all have heard the stories when, whether we were growing up, wherever that you could, you knew what bar might sell to somebody and not check your ID really well. Kind of the same in the cannabis industry. There's always somebody who's trying to cheat the rules. Most of us know that because we're all selling and buying from the same folks. And so I think this is encouraging if they continue that. But if we don't, remember, this is weird. The cannabis division has a really special role in this, unlike any other industry. Everyone involved in our industry is committing a federal crime. And the only reason the feds let us do this is because the state promises to really, really, really enforce the rules really well. If we have enough challenges and enough problems um, where it's very kind of open market of people breaking the rules, the feds have the right to come in here and tell us all to go home. Um, And I think everybody's business is on the line if the state doesn't do their job. And so they have a special obligation that we don't have in any other industry. For the layperson, it seems like that would be a hard Thing to track with every business that we've talked about that's coming online, right? Like what's to say a cannabis shop isn't bringing cannabis related products from other states? Um, because it's not just plants that we're talking about, to be clear. You know, there's also cannabis oils or distillate, which is like what's used in vape cartridges from right. what I understand. Do we have no personal enough- experience? I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't vape for the record, <laughs> but I've had people explain this to me. Yes. Um, do we have enough regulators and inspectors to track all of this, you think? We, we definitely don't. So the legislature recognized that. The legislature only gave uh, this whole brand new industry. I think I, I don't remember the full number, but they gave us about half of what we asked for the first year for all the tools to set up a new industry. And so the legislature kind of set this up to fail to begin with. And really what they were saying is, I don't want to turn this into alcohol again. Let's not overregulate it. Let's see what happens. Well, after the first year, the legislature did come back last year and added some extra enforcement money, added some extra positions, including a half million dollars for law enforcement to start going after these bad actors. And so that money is out there. You see that in some other cases. There's been a couple of cases in Clovis, for example, where local law enforcement 
have partnered with the state to go after some bad operators. And those cases are, they don't have licenses. There's nothing to revoke. They're just bad guys. So those cases are moving and we're seeing that. But part of the industry asked to the governor a few weeks ago, or some of the folks in the industry was cap the licenses. The legislature won't let us do that. But they also said, help us figure out how, how to differentiate between good and bad operators. And I think what the industry, what the governor has told us, and she's right about this, is we need to do our part too. When you go into an alcohol establishment, you have the posters that say, these are the rules. This is what the ID should look like, all those kind of things. I, I think the industry is moving very quickly before the end of the year to do a public education campaign. How do you know what a New Mexico label looks like? How do you know that you have to, you know, they need to check your ID and what are the red flags that this may not be a legitimate operation? And some of those things are if they offer you cash without tax, that's against the law as in anything else, but that means their operator's bad. Some of the things like they'll sell you cannabis in a plastic bag without a label or with a label that doesn't have all these specific details on it. Those are red flags. And we want to teach consumers how to be better consumers because that's taking money out of New Mexico growers and manufacturers. Those are people who aren't playing by the rules. And in some cases, those are criminal elements, fewer and fewer than there used to be, but still. And so it's part of our job, too, to, to step up and educate our consumers about how to look for the best stuff and how to find the best experience in this. Yeah, because there seems to be like a gray area, right? Like you mentioned, it could be considered like federal drug trafficking in a way. For some of the worst actors, it absolutely is. Uh, but we don't want to scare people into this. Remember, this was a whole thing about taking people out of the black and gray market and bringing them to, into legalization. One of the challenges we have in this industry, by the way, is that if you didn't own a cell phone store or a small business before and know how to pay all your taxes, and even then it's weird for cannabis now if you did. The whole point was to get the folks who were growing cannabis in their backyard or in the woods or wherever to come out and do it legally if they were really good. But remember that you have to learn how to run a business. Most folks either are good at running a business and they're bad. At, that's me. I can do business. I cannot grow tomatoes and I cannot grow plants. <laughs> but the guys who grow plants are usually pretty bad at business. Like they're just not their thing, right? They think they're artists and they are, but they're not good at spreadsheets. And so there's a balance there. And part of this problem is that people who are really good at cannabis for a long time have been really good at hiding it and ignoring the rules. And we're having to teach them as an industry how to kind of fold in a little bit. And so it makes it hard for cannabis division to differentiate between good actors and just people who need some help. It sounds like the answer to this next question I have is yes, but just to ask you, <laughs> are more license revocations coming, you think, perhaps this year? Uh, what is your thought? Yes, I think there are. Um, I'm aware of a couple of cases that I know um, that are moving through the process that I think legitimately um, are, would be very hard to defend. But I think more and more, and I think they have the right approach, is that for sort of lower level violations that are moving through, they've been very deferential at the state in saying, here's your violation. You need to find someone, a coach, someone to help you build a plan. And if you can build a plan, they're willing to waive those fines and fees the first time, sometimes the second time if it's not as bad and you're working on it. That is the right approach. This is all new. We've never done, nobody's ever done this this way before. There's no other state that looks like ours. You can't just go to Colorado and copy it because their law is different. They're doing a better job, but there are still some bad actors out there. Most of them not on the retail level. Customers are never going to find them, but bad actors taking advantage of small New Mexicans by selling them product from out of place or underselling them in deliberately to put them out of business. And we have to do a better job of supporting them. Mm. One question we had uh, way back when this was all coming online, and we spoke a little bit at the beginning of the episode as, as well, was where cannabis retailers or producers would be setting up uh -huh. shops. Every city out there, of course, 
to, I think what you had mentioned there has zoning laws, you know, it's different from Los Ranchos than Albuquerque than Santa Fe, et cetera, et cetera. So there's big differences in where people can set up. And I wanted to ask you from what you know, how is that working out so far? Do you think are producers and retailers facing challenges, maybe finding places to go? At this point, yes. On the retail side, I will say we've worked in every jurisdiction, all 33 counties and most cities in the state. Almost every city and jurisdiction and county today is full. That meaning meaning that the best addresses are already taken, right? So we, again, you got to find a hook. You're going to have to partner with somebody who's there. So in retail, yes. Some of our cities in particular, more rural, more conservative ones that were skeptical of this program in the beginning, did a good job of trying to find loopholes around. I don't like what they did, but they give them credit for trying. Trying to find loopholes around the state's rules that said, we smartly said no city or county can ban cannabis, but you can put rules around it. And so they kind of created some really high hurdles that no one could meet. I'll give you an example. One city in Southeast New Mexico said that if you want to grow and use city water, and there's not a lot of water in that part of New Mexico, except city water, you have to have a 10 inch water main. And that seems like a reasonable thing. It's a big water main in Albuquerque, but it turns out they only had one of those in their town and it was on the airport, which is a federal facility. And so they had de facto banned cannabis by not giving you the water you needed. So somebody had to challenge that, go through the process. But honestly, what we've really seen now is that if you talk to cops, they're not having problems because the facilities are secure. They're monitored on TV. They have alarms. All the staff are background checked. All the transactions are tracked by the state. And so they kind of don't have problems with these guys. Um, So they're lowering those walls a little bit more and more. But again, we have a lot of people who are locked into these long-term deals for bad addresses because that was what you had to do to get any address. Mm. And so it's going to make tough business decisions, but it is hard to navigate in New Mexico when you have 120 something different sets of rules for where you can be, how many hours you can open, what you have to do in order to get a permit. Do you, you know, the city of Albuquerque has an odor plan program that is different than the village of Los Lunas's that is different than uh, uh, Socorro County that has none at all. And so it becomes very complicated to find the right home based on your ability to navigate that process. Are there any other major challenges in the industry that you're seeing pop up that either the state or policymakers need to take a closer look at? I think the next big challenge is we talked about where where the the industry itself is going, right? We got mature faster. We have more stores. We have more producers. Everybody has everybody has says they have the best weed. Go go out and find your favorite and, and see if they're right. But we're also moving very quickly as we're becoming much more mature as consumers. And so New Mexico used to be about three quarters, what we call flour, meaning most people just bought their own flour. They rolled their own at home or did whatever they do at home with it. Raw flour is the easiest from the field to the store. We're becoming more, more uh, mature. We're starting to look for vapes. We're starting to look for edibles and not just an edible to take, you know, to go to sleep, but maybe I like that flavor profile. Maybe I want to take a micro edible so I can have a little bit all night long on the couch instead of one big knock. And and so and then what do those experiences feel? Uh, if you go into the major retailers and the major manufacturers now, they're not just selling gummies. They're selling a sleep line. They're selling a focus at work line. And so we're learning how to do all those cool things that California and Colorado consumers have been doing for a long time, which means that the manufacturing capacity in the state has to increase to create those products. Um, and it means that the state's rules and their rulemaking and inspections also have to meet that. It's really easy right now. You have to remember that we should be treating cannabis like a food because we're all going to consume it. 
And the state has rules that say that everybody who works in a cannabis business should have a food handling certificate, like you're working at a restaurant because you're handling something someone's going to eat or consume. Um, but we don't have all the rules worked out exactly right yet for how you manufacture those safely, because all the federal rules for food safety don't apply because we're all breaking federal law to start with. Mm. So we have to recreate all that. So I think the next year is going to be the year of products and manufacturing, how we create something unique. It goes back to Chris's question about hooks. Can mom and pop on the corner partner with a manufacturer to create a really cool line of something special for sleep products? Or maybe they become the ones that are really for the active micro dosing folks. Or maybe somebody wants to be the 30% plus folks and only have the top shelf high THC. That's the specialization we're seeing here. Again, it took four or five years in other states. It took us a year. And so we're going to see that continue to evolve this year. And there's going to be some folks that are going to have challenges keeping up. I know one of the big things going into opening this new industry, especially those who I think are just sort of hearing a lot about this on the surface level is the the economics behind it, right? And the idea of tax revenue and how much money this means for New Mexico. Overall, do you feel like this is a good industry, a good thing for the state's economy in the long haul? And maybe what's your message to naysayers who worry about the quality of life when it comes to legalization that still hasn't yet made it to the federal level? That's a great question. It's the whole reason all these states are trying this big grand experiment and they're all doing it in their own way. The law, especially law enforcement and some of the, the, the skeptics and the naysayers, I think we're right in going through our process and in years at the legislature and saying, I'm worried about being next order with cannabis dispensary. But I've been around Albuquerque long enough to remember when the microbrews happened and you could only open them in industrial areas because people right. thought they would bring all the, the the crime and the drunks and the whatever. And it turns out it brought out the millennials and the cool people and concerts and cool stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. And so now we want them on Central, right? But we remember we started only letting them be in the industrial zones where no one was at night. And now everybody wants one in their neighborhood because it's the cool place and it's the best little place to eat. Um, and so we've got to get through some of that. But the experience so far has been that the crime rate that was going to happen never has happened. And again, for the reasons we talked, when you talk to law enforcement, rates of crime in cannabis shops are in amongst the lowest, and particularly in the city of Albuquerque, smoke shops that converted from the old smoke shops to cannabis have dropped their crime rates significantly. And we've got some data to talk about that. So we're seeing that that piece is not there. Also, um, there is still a concern, and rightly so, about quality of life for drug to driving, for example, using cannabis. But we all know it's not any more accessible now than the people who were using it. What he did is he brought them out of the black market. What it's telling us is New Mexicans were buying or looking for a half billion dollars worth of cannabis in our own market or in Colorado for the last several years. That many people were ready the day things started. And so we're selling a half billion dollars worth of product now a year. It is a big industry employing almost 5,000 people now projected to get to 11,000 or so as these manufacturers and might and specialized folks come. So I think it does matter. When it comes to the tax revenue, we deliberately did not overtax this product. California adds a 20 and 25% tax in some cities to it. We kept it at a reasonable rate. The city of Albuquerque gets $10 million plus or minus a year. That sounds like a lot, but at a billion dollar budget, it's less than 1%. Yeah. And you so know you're a counselor. So. Yeah. <laughs> so we do this and we look at it. Now, where we put that money, like a million, you know, that $10 million should go a long way toward housing, drug treatment, and others. And we're, we're dedicating it here for that. But in the village of Los Lunas, it's good because they might get fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000, which might hire another police officer, which is a bonus. And schools will get extra dollars, which helps for all those reasons. But when it comes to the big sort of draw, the big idea that this was going to save every local economy, 
it put a bunch of folks back to work. It did fill up empty storefronts. You can't deny that. But local governments aren't really counting on cannabis revenue every day because it's a kind of a drop in the bucket. Interesting. And I'm sure, you know, because you wear so many hats and have like all this knowledge just ready to go <laughs> uh, when we ask you questions, I'm sure there's plenty of stuff we can continue talking about. But when it comes to cannabis and just a completely new industry that's still unfolding before our eyes, is there anything we didn't ask you that you feel like is important to share? I think you're going to continue to see this uh, evolve over the next year. So don't give up on it. If you don't like it, hang on. I know the city's going to look at zoning codes again after I'm gone at the city council, but I don't think that's going to change. The legislature certainly is looking at some changes, but not structurally, not, not anything big, but I think to help tighten up enforcement. So if you have a cannabis business and you're barely hanging on, hang on, but don't be afraid to ask for help. This is still a business that's an industry that's growing. Everybody needs everybody. What I love about this industry is that the producers and manufacturers are willing to work with retailers to develop products to help them stand out if they're willing to make those collaborations. So don't forget that this product is about New Mexicans. It's because we can't take it to Texas or buy it from Oklahoma. We have to grow it here. It, every product is grown in a New Mexico field. It's made in a New Mexico facility by New Mexico hands. Um, and so that money stays here. It starts here. It grows here. It stays here. We have an opportunity if we fix the enforcement issue and give really fulfill our promise to give everybody a level playing field that the state will call balls and strikes. I think that's the biggest thing we're missing. If we can get to that place, the best operators will rise and the ones who are ready to just get out and, and move on to the next thing will have an opportunity to sell. So if you're not there yet, hang on, but find somebody to hang on to and hang out with because there's it's going to be a bumpy ride for another year. Well, Pat, we appreciate you joining us here, cannabis consultant and Albuquerque City Councilor, outgoing counselor. Yeah, you're not sticking around, but will you continue to to be involved in city politics, you think, in I, any capacity? I don't think I'll be in city. I don't think I'll be in the basement of City Hall in public comment at midnight um, <laughs> for zoning hearings. I don't, I don't see that, but... Uh, you know, I, I still uh, own a few newspapers, and so I can yell at politicians. I can just do it from my desk now instead of having to be there at midnight. So we'll see how that works. Well, very interesting. And uh, we appreciate you coming here and sharing some of your perspective with us. We think, yeah, this is a an interesting topic, uh, especially for all the reasons I think that you outlined there. So thanks for following Pat up. Davis, thank you very much. Thanks again to Pat Davis for taking the time to talk with us about this budding industry. You love the puns. There's so many though. Yeah, there's tons when it comes to cannabis. Yeah, that is one I gotta say I've heard before. Yeah. Budding industry. Uh, yeah, thanks again to Pat. We appreciate the perspective. If you have an idea, you can reach out. I'm at chris.mckee at krqe.com and also at TV. And I'm gabrielle.burkhardt at krqe.com via email and gburknm on social media. Thanks for listening. 